Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens. I trust that your week is going well. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan. And I want to say it's good to be back. And I so much appreciate those who are listening along with us coming to their home. Thank you so very much. Yes, we are very grateful that you are listening. And we also are thankful in advance for your interaction with us. There's a number of ways that you can interact with us on tonight's program. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Again, call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. When you call, you will speak with the call screener, Sister Marianne. She will get a little bit of information from you, then put you on hold, and you will have your radio turned down, just listening on your phone, and then we'll pick you the call up and speak with you live on the air so you could ask Pastor your question. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. If you'd rather email your question, you can send it to truth at gmail.com. That's all one word, no space, no apostrophe. C-R-L-T-H-A-T-S-T-R-U-T-H at gmail.com. And the final way that you can interact with us is on Facebook. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then right there on your device while you are listening to the program, you can watch behind the scenes, and you can also in the comment section send in your questions, your concerns, and your comments, and they will get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner live on the air. Now, we are going to start out tonight's episode has been a couple of weeks maybe three weeks since we have been live in the studio it's good to be back as pastor mentioned and we have a number of questions that have come in thank you thank you thank you for those of you who have sent in your questions since we were last live in the studio we're going to start out with one from a listener in antigua if the original bible manuscripts are inspired but no modern translations are inspired and I don't have the original manuscripts to compare, why should we trust that which is not inspired? What are the reasons to trust it, and to what extent can we trust it? Well, I think that uh, you need to make a distinction between what is called inspiration and preservation. 
uh, inspiration has to do with the Holy Spirit superintending the content of the Bible so that the human authors wrote precisely what God wanted when the original manuscripts were, were done. So that is something that will never happen again. Uh, that's why I said you, for example, all, all um, scripture is complete. Uh, we don't listen to people like the Book of Mormon that says that they have a new revelation or the Koran that says it's an advanced revelation. Um, we as Christians hold to the biblical teaching that only the scripture is inspired by God, and that has to do with the superintending work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the word moved there means carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration. And uh, that word inspiration means God breathe. It's as though God breathed out his breath uh, on the believers uh, who wrote the Bible so that what was given to us was exactly what God intended. Uh, no, there's a reason why we can't um, say that any translation is inspired. Let me explain what that means. We don't mean that we don't have the inspired word when you hold the uh, King James Version or you hold another Bible. But every translation has errors in it. Uh, sometimes there are typographical errors. Sometimes there are um, um, numbers. I did a, uh, one of these recently where it was very clear that there was a copious mistake of putting uh, two different numbers referring to the same person. And the only way we can solve that problem is to see who his father was and to discover whether or not he was 22 or 45. I did that before. And that's important because it, it, this is where you need um, to make that clarity. Uh, if you don't do that uh, and you make a particular book inspired, my question to people, by the way, is what was there before the King James Version? I don't know if people know this, but the only Bible the world had for a thousand years was the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate. So does that mean that nobody was saved uh, because the only Bible they had was the Latin Vulgate? Uh, so it, it, it's ridiculous to make those type of claims. Um, the other thing is the preservation. Preservation has to do with God preserving His Word. If God has inspired His Word, it is completely irrational or inconceivable that He would not preserve what He's inspired. And that's where we know that the Bible uh, has been preserved. So when we have a translation based on the uh, Greek manuscripts, and by the way, there are over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts. No wow. other historical book has as much evidence for its authenticity than the Bible. I've said this before on, the on this program, that a person cannot be a true historian and disclaim the Bible is not the Word of God. Uh, all the historical books that he believes in, there's not even a, a iota of comparison between the documents he relies on and the documents that we have in the Scripture. There are multiple uh, documents as far as that regard. But this is an area of study called bibliography, and uh, that has to do with inspiration, etc., etc. I can say to anybody who has the um, Bible in their hand that substantially, you have the inspired Word of God. And I, I use the word substantial because I'm not talking about areas of doctrine, by the way. There's no area of doctrine or difficulty with the Scriptures. It's just that man, everything man touches, uh, there's always some mistake that is made, either slip of the pen. Uh, and then, you know, remember, the Hebrew language had no vowels. 
is only a consonant language. So those vowels had to be created, etc. But um, you can rest assured that the Word of God that you have in your hand uh, is the inspired Word of God. But the problem I want to desist in is to believe that uh, only one particular Bible is inspired. That uh, really creates a problem for what happened before. And then when the pilgrims went to America, they didn't go with the King James, the 1611. Uh, they went with a, another Bible. Um, I, I, can't, I was trying to remember the name of it, but it was actually a, like a Presbyterian Bible that was, was they carried with them. And that was what dominated the colonies for the first hundred years of American um, um, colonization of, of, the, of the New World. So, uh, I just think that we need to make a distinction between inspiration and preservation. God's word, God's word has been preserved. And by the way, there are some modern translations that tamper with God's word. So that is why you have to select a, um, a translation that is more literal and uh, more true to what God's Word says, especially using the Greek manuscripts. So I hope there's some clarity there that God has preserved His inspired Word and the Bible that we hold in our hand is inspired. But again, we have to be watching because if you don't do that, if a person finds a typographical error or finds a mistake in words in, in that particular passage, uh, he might create a, a storm in a teacup. And we have to be able to give an answer for that. So God's word, God preserves His word, and that's what we have today. I believe it was the Geneva Bible. Yeah, that, that's the it, the Geneva Bible. Yeah. Correct, correct. And interestingly enough, it also was the Bible that William Shakespeare and John Bunyan used yeah. uh, during that time period. Yeah. And the other thing, Nathan, that the majority of the translation of the King James Version came out of the Wycliffe translation. In okay. other words, the vast majority is actually like copied from his translation. This one man. So a lot of that came into there. That's why um, what we've got to be uh, focused on is to make sure that the translation is true to the Greek manuscripts. That is the big issue. And I, I just thank the Lord that he has preserved over 5,000 so that we can do a comparison and we can see exactly where there's a scribal error, an insertion, uh, a misspelled word, uh, a, a number that's reversed. I, I have a tendency to do that. Instead of writing 45, I write 54. Mm-hmm. And those kind of things happen because remember that this was... Um, actually done by hand. Uh, there was no magic technology uh, to photocopy it or, or whatever. This is actually done by manual hand. And we all know that uh, to copy the entire Bible by hand, you think of the exhaustion of yeah. that and having to check the middle word in the entire translation to see if it's correct. And if it is not the middle word, so they abandon the translation. You can see how that could uh, lead to some measure of um, difficulty and frustration. So just to summarize for the listener that just tuned in and is hearing you talk, God's word that I'm holding here in my hand is... God's preserved, inspired word. Okay. But when I'm looking for a translation, I should look for a literal translation. I want it true to the Greek manuscripts. Okay. Okay. The reason why I'm saying that, by the way, um, you ever, I don't know if you ever heard of Peter Ruckman. I have heard the name. One of the most divisive uh, personalities within the Baptist circle. He actually said the King James should, should correct the Greek. Wow. I made such a stupid statement to make. It's embarrassing that he is supposed to be a scholar mm-hmm. to make that kind of a statement. Uh, so um, we just got to... Uh, get back to the Word, um, believe that God has preserved His Word, and uh, live by His Word. And I see nothing in the Scripture, by the way, that seemed contrary to God's character uh, in God's mind. 
Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It's a live, interactive call-in program. If you'd like to call and ask your question live on the air, you can call one 268 462-7420. And I'll give you that number again. I know I gave it to you quickly. So as you get your phone unlocked and open up the phone app, you can call 1-268-462-7420. And that'll put you live on the air here on That's Truth. If you'd rather not speak live on the air and you have a question, or maybe you heard your coworker ask someone a question this week and he's like, you know what? That's a good question. That needs a good answer from the Bible. Or I really don't know how I would answer that if I was asked that question directly. You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 1454 WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. And you can join us also on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then right there in the comment section, you can type out your question, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner, live on the air. Another question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. God has always pointed out sins like adultery and murder, but why has he never pointed out the sin of having multiple wives? Other than Deuteronomy 17.17, where kings were told not to multiply wives to himself, did his heart turn not away, God never condemned those with multiple wives and even continued to use some of those great men as kings and prophets. Why was this sin never pointed out? Well, I am not too sure you're correct about that. That is only mentioned in... um the account in Deuteronomy chapter 17 where it said kings should not uh, multiply their wives. We all have to go back to God's original intent. That is how we have to establish. We go back to creation and see what God's plan was. What was his ideal? What was his purpose? What is marriage? Uh, what is um, a home, a family? And it is very clear from Genesis chapter uh, 2, uh, two that, and, and 3 that um, God intended one man one woman. And he said the two shall become one flesh. That is so clear. There's no need to be an argument about that whatsoever. And perhaps the reason why there's not a great reference to condemning um, this, homose- this um, sorry, polygamy is because it was not a very common practice even among God's people. Uh, so there was no need to emphasize them about immorality. Um, and of that, of that thing, that clearly was a very common thing that so he had to deal with that. The other thing is that uh, most of the men in the Bible were not polygamists. For example, Adam, Noah, Isaac, um, jo- uh, Joseph, Moses, uh, Boaz, Job, Isaiah, and Hosea. All of those were monogamous relationships. And there, there are far more of those than you have the incident of polygamy. And wherever you find polygamy, by the way, uh, a man having a plurality of wives, you find the entire whole family is in trouble and divided. You can't point to one situation where polygamy was uh, done within a family structure where it led to unity, uh, peace, and togetherness and love. Uh, And there's a reason for that, uh, in my view. Uh, Make no bones about it. Polygamy is selfish. It's the sexual exploitation of women. 
No doubt about that. Because only man, ha- man has a right to be polygamous. Now think about that for just a moment, right? Why do you want to be polygamous but the woman doesn't have... You're totally exploiting uh, women. Uh, it is sexual greed. Um, no man can build a close relationship with three and four different women uh, and have a meaningly careful, uh, caring uh, relationship. That's virtually impossible. So even from a social point of view, uh, it is destructive to society and destructive to the, the norms of human behavior. Uh, Paul, by the way, um, pointed out in Corinthians chapter 7, turn there, Nathan, uh, verse 2, 3, and 4. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, 3, and 4 says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. You notice quite clearly, uh, to avoid the, you're not made celibate, you're aware that you have desires for sex. Uh, Paul answered to that is marry a wife. If a woman has the same problem, marry a husband. Very, very clear. Not marry two women or marry two husbands. Uh, you don't, you know, how much does it take for God to explain something uh, for it to be the standard? If he speaks on a matter once, it's sufficient. Uh, the other thing is, if you look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 to 6. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6 reads as follows. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that which made them at the beginning that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave and leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. That therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I think that is abundantly clear, that Christ... Uh, endorses God's original plan, and the Pharisees were trying to um, create a, 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 a contest. And there were two schools of, of thought uh, between two rabbis that, uh, are, that in the New Testament time. One guy believed that you can divorce for anything. The other guy believed you can only divorce for the case of unfaithfulness. And Christ uh, went back to the original to make sure that not even divorce was God's original intended plan. But because of the weakness of human beings and because of our sinful nature, uh, he made an allowance uh, that in the case of unfaithfulness, the faithful partner has a right to terminate the marriage if they want to, and on the basis of that termination has a right to remarry. That is what uh, our Lord is, is, is emphasizing here. Uh, I would like to say, Nathan, that Christianity introduced uh, two great concepts to the Western world and to the Eastern world as well. And that was this, chastity before marriage and fidelity after marriage. 
Those are two fundamental principles that Christianity introduced. Because remember in the Greek world, uh, I read uh, a, a, a portion of a quote, um, I was, can't remember, I don't know as Demosthenes, that said, we, uh, we have whores for pleasure, we have mistresses to take care of the house, and we have wives to bear children for us. That is the Greek world, and that was the, the Roman world as well. Totally corrupt, totally evil, uh, no moral absolutes whatsoever. And by the way, we are now returning to the first century standard of morality. Uh, and that is a terrible thing, Nathan, that the church is part of the whole commess and part of the whole compromise with the world in terms of morality. And uh, its failure to maintain a biblical standard has pretty much led to the total moral confusion we have on planet Earth today. And we have lost a witness or testimony. The world doesn't want to hear us. You know who want to hear us? The homosexuals and the lesbians. But decent people who uh, believe in Scripture, uh, they are totally turned off by what is happening uh, today, even within the church. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Pastor, a question that came to my mind. For the listener who says... I've never tuned into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse before. I just stumbled across the station. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I'm not religious. What does the Bible say about open marriage? Well, the open marriage is fornication. Uh, and when you say, uh, wait a minute, you're talking about married people sleeping around with anybody? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, open yeah. Well, again, uh, the Bible asks us to practice fidelity to our wives and to our husbands. So there's uh, simply an abomination for anyone to come to the idea that a person can be married and sleep around, whether it be a wife or a husband by mutual agreement. That is totally against the moral principles of Scripture. And again, the church must abominate that. Uh, if churches have members who are practicing this kind of um, open marriage, they need to be removed from the church and put outside the church. Um, trying to pretend uh, that you love them because uh, they are brothers and sisters, but yet they are deliberately violating uh, biblical principles. Our loyalty is to God first and to His Word, not to individuals. So we must stick to the biblical principles and the standards of the Bible, and that needs to be the standard or the symbol or the canon by which we deal with these moral issues today. But uh, that is an abomination, uh, clearly. Uh, looking at the moral principles of Scripture. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.57. If you are listening on Saturday as the rebroadcast, or if you're listening to the podcast maybe even months or years from now online, thank you for taking time to listen to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and the program That's Truth. We would love for you to tune in on a Tuesday evening when we are broadcasting live. You can call in with your question, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. I'd just like to remind people that from the birth of Adam right to Abraham is 2,000 years. Okay, Man had apostatized so much that God now selected Abraham to create a nation that would bring man back to God. But clearly, there was a complete apostasy for, for 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, when Joshua was speaking to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, your forefathers worship idols on the other side of the river. That's beyond the Jordan River, okay? So God had to start uh, with a new uh, person of faith 
uh, start with a new nation, and that person was Abraham, and that nation is Israel. And it is true, Abraham and Israel, God would preserve his truth and pass it on uh, to the following generations. We know that Israel failed. We know that. And God had now to suspend his dealing with Israel, uh, cut off the natural branches and graft in the Gentiles, which is the church. What Israel was responsible to do, the church now has that response. But what has happened now? We too have gone down the same road. Yeah. And that is where there is no, there's, no, no, there's nothing beyond the church. All we're waiting for now is the final apostasy and the rapture of the church. But um, it is very, very clear that the modern church is a figment of what the New Testament church was meant to be, and it has completely betrayed uh, the Scripture and God and its loyalty to God's truth. We have another question that has come in from a listener. Good evening. I have a question for That's Truth. How do you stop worrying and start trusting God? In fact, I'm going to come back to this question. We've got a caller live on the air, Pastor. Thank you for calling That's Truth, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening to the panel. Hi, good evening, Mr. Williams. How are you, sir? Doing well. How can we help you tonight? Uh, two questions, please. Um, what is the difference between a woman preaching and a woman pastoring? Well, uh, I can only tell you what we believe uh, as Baptists. Uh, we don't believe that God has given women that authority to be uh, over men in the leadership role and the teaching role. That is very, very clear in the book of Timothy. Uh, he doesn't want any woman to usurp authority over a man. And uh, in Corinthians, he said, let the women have their silence in the church. So when it comes to uh, qualifications for a pastor, there is no qualification for a woman. A pastor must be a husband of one wife. I don't know how. Well, today, I, I take that back. I take that back because there are uh, masculine women who are sleeping with feminine women. It's called lesbianism. So I suppose uh, that may not be a problem for some. But clearly, uh, the biblical position is that women are not called to the pastorate. Just like a man is called to be the head of his home, God is the one that established that. Not the woman, the man is the head of the home. And she serves in a subordinate position to him. That is God's order, that is God's design. But what we have today is the aggressive feminist apostate movement that is trying to remove all kinds of distinctions between male and female to the point now where a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man by medical means, etc. And they're destroying so many young uh, children who have these um, uh, blockers that block puberty blockers and um, going to surgery, etc., etc. I think in the future, if the Lord tarries, a lot of these people who have gone through this um, brutality, uh, physical brutality by doctors, I think they're going to sue a lot of doctors when they realize that they were male and these doctors went ahead and uh, uh, did the complete reverse. It is pure nonsense what is happening, and I blame the political party who does not take a stand on this. There are only two genders, male and female. There's only one marriage between male and female. Okay, homosexuality is sin, it's an abomination. Uh, lesbianism is sin, it's an abomination. It doesn't belong in the church, and the church should never, never 
have any person who is a practicing homosexual or a lesbian as a member of the church. They need to be put out of the church. We need to bring back morality and righteousness uh, because the church has gone so far away from biblical morality. Yes, and the question, uh, can, can a Christian, a real Christian, genuine Christian, can save and love? I, I didn't hear what you repeat that again. Can a real Christian, a genuine Christian, can save and love? No, I, I do not believe from biblical doctrine that a person who is genuinely, authentically born again into God's family. Think of what that means for just a moment. God adopts you into his family. He transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He has given you the righteousness of Christ, imputed that to you. Um, he has justified you. That is, declared you righteous before him because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is now sanctifying you. And Paul has made it clear, he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God starts nothing that he doesn't finish. And you can be rest assured that any true believer uh, will is eternally saved. Now that doesn't mean a believer can't fall back and get involved in things that he should not. But again, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict him and bring him back to the Lord. And God will chasten him. Uh, as a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that. That God chastens his children when the children depart uh, from his ways. Uh, and that's one of the clearest indications, by the way, that we belong to the Lord, that when we get away from Him, everything that is negative begins to happen to us. We get one problem after problem after the other because God is bringing us back to our senses, wants to restore the relationship, wants us to repent, and wants us to live for Him. But a true believer is eternally saved. So, Pastor, so, if a man is a Christian and he falls back in sin and he happens to be dead before he but let me show you the illogic of that, okay? Uh, for example, um, God only chastens his children, okay? So if a person falls back and gets involved in certain things they should not, and God is chastening him, who does he belong to? God. He only chastens because it's his child, see? So that is why when people who make profession of faith and go back into live a ungodly life of that's a, uh, bring the gospel into disrepute and tarnish the name of Christ. And there's nothing happening in their lives that would indicate divine chastening. Those people should examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. They may be fake because God has promised that when his child goes away from him, he will chasten him and bring him back. Now, if God is chasing a person and that person refuses to respond, the Bible says they're sin unto death. And that might mean an early death for that person. Rather than let that person be smirched in the name of God down here, God decides to take that person out early, but that person is still saved. Let me show you something. In, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there is a young man who is practicing immorality of the worst kind within the church. Uh, the church is not dealing with the problem. The church is celebrating their liberality and their freedom uh, about this young man. And Paul said, look, I'm not even there with you uh, in person, but I'm there in spirit. Cast this young man out of the church. He doesn't belong to the church. And notice that his body might be destroyed, but that his spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a person committing incest. 
and is unrepentant. And uh, Paul's argument is not that he be lost. He said, put him out of the church. By the way, when you're in the church, you're under the, the protection of God, the Holy Spirit. There's a protection for God's people. When you are outside the body of Christ, that protection is removed. The devil now can take you and pretty much do anything with you. And the one thing he will do is to destroy your body. And But the spirit will be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. I think that's a good example of the fact that a believer can uh, fall into sin, uh, not repent, and yet his body be destroyed and his spirit be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. I think that's a perfect example that brings us out very clearly. Okay, that's some good. I'm um, one more question, if, if a believer, when a believer dies and on same day, what is your favorite gun? When a, a believer dies and And the unsaved die. Uh huh. Uh, believer die and the unsaved die. What's the difference? Where, where the spirit, the spirit die. Yeah. Well, we know that absent from the body is present with the Lord for the believer. And by the way, that only happened after Christ was ascended on head on, on, on heaven, and He led captive the captive according to Ephesians. Prior to Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension, uh, there's a place called Hades, where the unsaved went, which is a place of torment. And it was also called the place of Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort. When a believer died in the Old Testament, he went to that place of comfort. But uh, when an unsaved person died, he went to Hades and suffered uh, torment. It's very clear that Jesus told us that in Luke chapter 16. Okay, But when Christ was resurrected, as Christ ascended, the book of Ephesians said he led captivity captive. Those that were held in that place of Abraham's bosom was now taken to be with him in heaven, the spirit. That's why Paul says, no, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. There's no more Abraham's bosom for us. There's the bosom of Jesus Christ, the comfort of Christ. That's the difference between a saved person. The unsaved man still goes to Hades. He still will suffer torment, uh, because unless he repent, he's going to perish. And that's the biblical teaching. Okay, Pastor, thanks for the explanation. You're welcome, sir. Thank you so much for calling. Really appreciate that, man. Thank you for the call, Brother Williams. The phone line is now open and available for you to call with your question. You can call 1-268-462-7420 to ask your question live on the air. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text it, you can send it to the following number, 1-268-782-1454 question coming from the Southern Caribbean. Good evening. I have a question for That's Truth. How do you stop worrying and trusting God? I am guilty of always worrying. I worry about my exam grade, my future, and everything possible. How do I surrender myself to God and accept his will for my life without worrying? Well, I think you provided the answer right there. You need to make a once forever a surrender of yourself to him. That's what he says in uh, Romans chapter 12. I beseech your brethren that you present your body. And the word there is in the uh, aorist tense, which means a once forever decision you make. The problem, I think, with you and with most people is that you're controlled by doubt and fear. And your focus is not on God. Your focus is not on heaven. Your focus is not on the things above. Your focus is on the things of the earth. So you are, um, you pretty much um, have a uh, uh, double, um, James said, you're a double per- double-minded person. And because of that, 
you always are going to have this situation where you, you worry. Um, you must not have divided loyalty. Our Lord made that very, very clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 to 34. Uh, Nathan, I wonder if you can just read that for me, please. Yeah, Matthew chapter 6, 21 to 34. I can read that. Okay, it says... I can stop you as you go on. Okay. okay. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So stop right there for just a moment. Wherever the thing that you value most, that is the focus of your mind. So if you value your education, you value your job, uh, you value marriage, um, you value having a, um, a sizable income... That is where uh, your treasure is. So as long as that is your treasure, what you're focused on, um, it is very, very clear that your heart is going to be there. Your heart is wherever your treasure is. That's how you know where your treasure is, uh, where your heart is, by looking at what you really treasure, what you really value. Uh, And our Lord, go ahead, Nathan. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil... Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Here's the problem again. The focus is not on the kingdom of God. The focus is on mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is wealth. Mammon is money. Uh, And that is where the predominant focus, um, I would say, in this person's life is not the kingdom of God. Uh, It it has to do with material success. Let me me just say this. Uh, The Bible makes it very clear that in the end time, when our Lord returns, he asks, shall he find faith? He asked that question. And then Paul, in talking about the perilous times that are going to come, Paul says that there are three predominant loves that will characterize the end time. He said men should be lovers of pleasure. They are pursuing entertainment and pleasure, anything that will make them feel good. Uh, And then he said uh, they should be lovers of self, narcissism, concern only about self. And then he says they should be covetous, and the word covetous, they are lovers of money. So those are the three, by the way, these are the three predominant uh, passions of men today. it is pleasure or entertainment. It is self-love or narcissism. The world revolves around us, and it's about money. This has even crept into the church, by the way. You check any mega church, and you will see that it is marked by those three things, entertainment. Uh, beat the drums, the pagans are listening, and we've got to get them excited so they can give, etc. Et the truth of God is not expounded. That's not what's important. The, punk, the thing is to get them excited so that when the preacher begins to preach and nobody's responding, the drums go up, the guitars go up, everything goes up. It is fakery that's going on today, okay? And then, of course, uh, self-love. Uh, there's nobody that loves themselves more than these mega-preachers. They've got million-dollar homes. They've got... Uh, um, planes to fly, private planes. Uh, they have, I mean, you, you just name it. It seems to me as though that is their focus. And then, of course, uh, there's no doubt that it's about money. Sowing the seed, sowing the seed, sowing the seed. So these three evils have infiltrated the church. They are the predominant ver- um, vices within 
the world, which have now secretly crept into the church and has been facilitated by these megachurch pastors that emphasize not the word, but entertainment, not serving others, but self-accomplishment, self-actualization, not uh, giving and to the poor, but uh, you want prosperity, you want wealth. Basically, that's the message of the church. So I would say um, to this person, uh, your focus is all wrong. And because your focus is wrong, you will never be able to stop worrying. Go on and read what our Lord said, Nathan. You were addressing the mega churches now. For the individual that says, Pastor, I attend a small church, does that mean I'm safe from any of those false teachings? Oh, no. It, it, what has happened is that the small churches now, because they see the mega movement, they now want to come mega, become mega, mega churches. One of the things that bothers me, Nathan, is that I think that when a church is building a, a, a church, you need a functional building. You don't need an aesthetic yeah. uh, architecture with all, wasting all of God's money. You just need a building that is decent and can do the job. And I think that this is the mistake that a lot of... So what happens to a lot of these churches is that they have such a high mortgage. They don't support missionaries. They can hardly do anything anymore because the mortgage they're paying back it is millions of dollars they've got to pay back. And, of course, there's only such limited income. Yeah. I think, and if you were to go to most of these churches and ask them how many missions they support, you'd be surprised. It'd probably just be zilch because the priority is wrong. The emphasis is wrong. And uh, people need to wake up and come back to biblical truth. If you're wanting to follow along in your Bible, I'm picking up with Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not your life more than meat, and your body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Stop there for just a moment. I think that's one of the most profound truths in the Bible. That how can God take care of the flowers and the beasts and the and the birds and not take care of his children? Mm. I mean, it, the illogic of that is that if he's if he's your father taking care of these lesser creatures who don't have a soul, who don't have a spirit, why then can you not trust him to provide your legitimate needs? So the problem is a matter of faith. It's a matter that this person is controlled by doubt and unbelief and they lack the capacity to trust God in these matters. Go, go on and read. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth, 
that ye have need of these things. Right. And we'll go on to another passage which says, Seek ye first the kingdom That's of God. That's the next verse. Right, but seek ye first the kingdom of yeah. God and his righteousness. You focus on God's business, and God has pledged himself to meet your needs. That is how you have to live as a Christian. Our Lord um, in um, Matthew 18 made an astounding statement. He said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, there are only two alternatives when you're living in a cursed world with all the problems. We're either going to be coming to God in prayer and interceding before God and asking God's help, or we are going to be fainting, exhausted, tired. Uh, so we've got a choice to make, whether we be prayer or we faint. But that's the alternative. There's another great passage, uh, Nathan, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And uh, the peace of God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, uh, don't be anxious. Don't be bogged down with worry. The alternative to that is, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Interesting he would make that comment. When you are coming to God and you're praying to God, don't forget to thank Him for the many things He's done for you. And that's where the thanksgiving aspect comes into it. I don't have a person who, all the person comes, give me, give me, give me, give me, me. But they don't ever return to give thanks. We had uh, lepers like that in the ten lepers. Only one returned to give thanks after he was healed. And uh, our Lord said, you know, <laughs> were there not ten? Hmm. Were there nine? See? I remember uh, Dr. Bob Jones used to say, I have never forgotten it, when the, when the light of gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, he's well nigh hopeless. That's a profound statement. Uh, and that's why it's important to keep this spirit of gratitude. Once that is gone, you're pretty much a hopeless person because uh, you don't learn to appreciate even the, the small blessings he gives, but much less the, the great ones. And that's why Thanksgiving is there. And then, so he tells you to pray. And what happens? The peace of God will stand as a citadel over your heart, giving you peace and comfort. That's a biblical promise. Now the problem is, do you believe that? And it takes you to move from unbelief to faith, to take that promise, apply it to your life, and believe what God says. Test the truth of that particular verse. I would make one other comment. It's very, very clear that one of the problems that people have today is comparing themselves with others. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to education, when it comes to the type of jobs they got, when it comes to even the type of house they live in, the kind of car that they drive, there is a massive competition going on between uh, people. And I think that we have to learn what the Bible calls contentment. Uh, live within your means. Try to improve yourself as much as you can. But uh, always live within your means and work your way up uh, as, as time goes on. But uh, don't be a type of person that has a champion taste and a morbid budget. Uh, you, you've got to be, you know, that's why the Bible talks about contentment with godliness is great gain. Uh, so I would say to this person that, um, oh, and one last thing, Nathan, read verse number 9, 8 of Philippians chapter Four? Uh, verse 8, chapter 6, of 4, chapter four, chapter 4 of uh, Philippians. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good of good report, 
If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Notice you refocus on the positive things about the Christian faith. Hmm. That's what you do. Your mind needs to be transformed. The mind needs to be renewed. And your mind, by the way, to be renewed, there are two things I would recommend to you. Number one, you have to get into the discipline of reading the Word. Okay? The, the only thing that can renew your mind is biblical truth pushing out falsehood. And uh, that is important that you get into God's Word. The second thing, of course, is that you have to spend some time in prayer. So the solution to your problem is very basic, very simple. Get back to the basic disciplines of the Christian faith. Reading the Word and prayer. Doing that on morning before you leave work, leave for work. Doing that during the break time. And doing that in the night time. Uh, you would see that if the Word begins to saturate your mind and prayer becomes a regular part of your life, it might seem uh, strange but you are going to be a transformed person because the Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it works in our lives. Remember what Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. The Word is the meat that you need and the milk that you need for the younger believer. And of course, prayer is indispensable. Prayer is the conduit that connects heaven and earth. And that's how you get God... Um, acting in your life through that conduit of prayer. Without prayer, um, your situation is not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. You were referencing a renewed mind. Uh, an unsaved person could have a change of thinking when he's, the facts are presented to him. Um, and again, for example, there are people who, when they're young, they're liberals. They are radicals. When they get old, they become conservatives. Part of the reason for that is uh, when you're young, you're idealistic, you want to change the world. And uh, But as you get mature, you begin to realize that um, uh, most of your radical thinking uh, has not produced any significant change. So you now want to really conserve truth. Another thing, there are people who have had issues with uh, certain Bible doctrines you can give them a particular textbook or something to help them to take the resurrection of Christ or the virgin birth. There are people whose mind has been changed because of the exposition of the word and the explanation of what those kind of things. So I do feel that an unsafe person's mind can be changed. But in terms of being renewed, um, that is limited to a believer who daily gets into the word and allow the word to transform his thinking and his mind. The passage, I believe it was in Matthew, where it was talking about the lily, the field, and the bird. One phrase that jumped out at me was it said, God knows our need. And I could tell you multiple instances, just if you hear at the Radio Lighthouse, where even before I was aware of the need, God provided. For instance, the air conditioner, right before it broke a few years ago, a listener had said, you know what? God has laid on my heart to give you this amount. And you know it was within just a few cents of that amount that we needed the next week to repair the air conditioner. Amen. And God, God knows our needs, not just in the past, but also he knows them yeah. before they happen. And I was watching <coughs> Fox News uh, this week. I think Harris Faulkner just wrote a book on the miracle of prayer. And in the, I haven't read it, basically, but I was listening to the interview. 
she's saying that God can still do the miraculous, and she uses illustrations of how God can work miraculously and transform people's lives. Um, I do think that p- people need to be aware of that, and I think that this testimony that what you just mentioned that ne- need to be said in public so that the public understand that God is a prayer answering God, and He He takes care of His people even before the need is there. Yeah. So I do think it's important for those things to be mentioned to help to stir faith in people. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and I'm glad that you are. I know Pastor Murphy is glad you're listening also. And we are here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. You can ask your question by calling it, calling in and asking it live on the air. The number to call and ask your question on the air is 268-462-7420. 268-462-7420. That'll get you to the call screener, and then she'll put you on hold, and we will pick you up live on the air. Don't want to speak live on the air? Not a problem. We still would love for you to interact with us on the program tonight. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268 782 And you can also join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. And while you are listening, while you're watching behind the scenes, you can also comment in the comment section on your device. And your comments will get passed along to Pastor Murphy live on the air. Maybe you don't have a question. But you have a suggested topic for a future episode. We want this program in every future episode of That's Truth to be as practical as possible for you. And the best way to do that is for us to be discussing topics that mean something to you, that your family is discussing, that is being discussed or maybe even debated or argued about in your workplace so that we can answer it from a biblical worldview. Now, Pastor, I've used that phrase, biblical worldview, a number of times tonight. What do we mean by that? Well, um, it, biblical worldview is, is a, a view of the world that is governed by certain general principles. For example, you believe in creation. You believe in the fall. You believe that God has provided a Messiah to Jesus Christ. Uh, you believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe is something called the church. Um, so I know you believe in biblical morality. Those are some of the very broad parameters that inform uh, a person's mind when it comes to a biblical worldview. So, for example, a Christian cannot embrace evolution. I don't know. It's the most stupidest, non-scientific fact that I, in my judgment, I don't know how sensible people could ever believe in that. I just can't figure it out, Okay. Uh, you have over 80 billion neurons in your brain. There's no computer on planet Earth that compares with your brain. Now, to tell a man that a computer just happened, and all of these nerve endings are connected in an order, etc., etc., that alone, but I was thinking this week as well, Nathan, that a man spends all his life studying the eye. He's an eye specialist. He's an ear specialist. He's a throat specialist. He's a brain specialist. <laughs> I mean, he's a heart specialist. I mean, his entire life is, is spent studying those organs. Yet, a man who is supposed to be a scientific person uh, believes that it just happened by chance plus time. And by the way, all of this is contrary to the two laws of thermodynamics, the first law of thermodynamics and the second law of thermodynamics. So evolution is a violation 
of those laws. And for the life of me, I've still been trying to figure out how Christians... I remember one day reading a book by Bernard Ram, and he wrote a book on uh, science and, and Christianity. And I was so surprised that he opened the door for the church accepting evolution. Hmm. That shocked me, totally shocked me, right? Um, but again, Nathan, the 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 church, I, you know, you've said this many times on the radio, the problem is not the world. The world would be what it has always been, evil and corrupt. That's what the world has always been, pursuing power and prestige and stuff like that. The church is the problem. And the church has now brought those same things of the world into the church. So it has nullified the Christian witness. And uh, now all that is left is what I call the remnant church, but must take a very firm stand against these things coming into the church. Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Again, if you've just tuned in, it is a live call-in program, and we would love for you to call and ask your question live on the air. You can call 268 462-7420 to ask your question, or you can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. A WhatsApp question that has come in. Good night, all. God bless. Pastor Murphy, has there been any other nation in history that was tolerant to all religions for a long period? I ask because it's strange to view the Western world as Christian, but see persons come across to a nation that should worship God and give rights to build temples to worship idols. Is there any nation that has ever allowed all religions, including Christianity, to practice beliefs openly without strife and trouble arising? Uh, Just remember that not even in England and in Europe, had freedom of religion. The established church in England uh, persecuted the Puritans because they didn't hold to the teaching of the Anglican church. The Presbyterian church, uh, the church in in, um, Germany, Lutheran church, aligned itself with the government. All of these churches basically became enmeshed with the government and they used the power of the government to restrict uh, freedom of religion. When the pilgrims went to America, it was because of the persecution. They couldn't work. John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison, you know, for what? For preaching. He preached preach outside the the, the, uh, the Anglican Church. He preached in the open, and he spent 12 years in prison. Um, the Catholic Church burned Wycliffe. Dig him up and burn him after a while. Why? Because he translated the Bible. So, what has happened is that <coughs> we've never had democracy like we have it today. And, but the democracy is a product of Christianity. It's not the Greeks that gave us democracy. The do- democracy of the Greeks was almost an oligarchy. Only the landed class and the wealthy people and the merchants had a right uh, to vote and um, appoint. So, but when Christianity came and emphasized the, the creation of man, the dignity of man, the value of man. Uh, you listen to the American Constitution, we hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. That all men are created what? Equal before God. That came out of Christianity. And it is that that brought Western democracy where you have freedom. And those that came out, uh, the democratic countries, uh, Europe and uh, um, America and others that were a spin-off of that, 
they understood that they did not want to go back to the restrictions on religion. So they made religious freedom so that a person can worship his own God, etc., etc. Uh, so we never had anything like this before because he never had true democracy. But it is very difficult in a democratic society to, for uh, the restraint of people who migrate to your country to deny them the right to worship uh, God, their God, and also to deny them the worship of building their temples. It is one of the inherent, I don't want to say evils, uh, problems with a democracy. But I would rather it be so where you have freedom of religion than to have a powerful government restricting what kind of religion you can have. By the way, the pendulum is swinging uh, uh, swinging back where powerful governments, because they have a social agenda. And what is their social agenda? They want to normalize homosexuality. They want to normalize same-sex marriage. They want to normalize uh, transgenderism. They want to normalize lesbianism. That is their social agenda. And what they're doing now is putting pressure on Christians so that people are finding it difficult to live by their convictions. I saw something, uh, when was it? Uh, I'm not sure if it was Sunday or Monday, but there's a case was just one of a Christian photographer that she refused to uh, to take pictures of a same-sex marriage, and she was taken to court. She won the case. The argument was she, her, her whole ministry is about celebrating Christian marriage, and the judge agreed with her. Now, that is a small win uh, for us. But the judge did go on to say, however, if you have a public business, like a restaurant or whatever like that, you can't uh, uh, discriminate on that area. So while it has, in a sense, helped the Christian cause, uh, for me, for example, Nathan, I could not, if I had a, uh, an apartment, I could not rent an apartment to a homosexual couple. I don't care what it do to me. Just can't happen, right? Or a transgender couple. I'm a steward of what God has given to me, and I live with my Christian convictions. So um, I, I just think that we are in serious trouble in the future. As we take a stand, it's going to be seen as anti-government, and they are going to bring on the force, the full force of the law, to, to try to push us to compliance. And that's where the true Christian, in my judgment, will be seen in that day, whether we kowtow to these uh, people or we take a stand, a biblical stand on these issues. Pastor, we have Codgerton on the air. Codgerton, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. My question is this, like, um, uh, me and the Lord is always so good, you know? And one time I asked the Lord, um, he said, because um, I told him that he shouldn't tell Eve that the devil would be in the tree. That's why he suffered, he said that what makes him suffer so long, because I have so many friends, and he knows that I have so many friends by watching the television, and he knows exactly what I'm watching and seeing and what they're doing when they see me watch them play, and they have won so much a championship. And up to now, I write them letters, nobody is just responding to hey. me. And All right, Codrington, Codrington, thank you for uh, your call. What is your question? Very in one in one sentence. What is your question? My question is because just like if God is just punishing me. Why why is God allowing you to suffer? Why is God punishing you? Well, I I, I don't know, Coddington, uh, what the nature of your suffering. 
um, I think people bring suffering upon themselves. For example, a smoker, a drinker. There's no question about that. If a man is smoking and drinking, he's lost 15 years of his life. Mm. That's a given. That's the medical profession. So a person who is deliberately violating the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember what God said? If you destroy the temple, he will destroy your body. Mm. So sometimes it's a result of people living a certain type of lifestyle. A man that is immoral and claimed to be a Christian and sleeping around, it, it should not surprise him that he has got AIDS or he got uh, herpes or hepatitis or whatever it is. And this is not this is a natural cause that flows from a lifestyle. So not everything that a person is suffering is directly from the hand of God. God has removed his hand so that that protection is not there. So I don't know the nature of, of your suffering, but I would say to you, there are times when believers suffer and there's no answer. Take Job. Job never got an answer as to why God allowed him to go through such suffering. We do know one thing, that as a result of going through the suffering, Job said that he was refined like pure gold. He became a different man and a different person. And sometimes God has to put us in the crucible of affliction in order to take the dross out of our lives. And that may very well be what he's doing with you. Are you listening to his voice? Are you, are you, are you doing what you know that you should do as a believer? Um, those are questions. Are you living obedient life? If you're not, don't be surprised that he takes his hand off your life and allow you to go through some trials and trusting your life. And the whole purpose of that, by the way, if you are a true child of God, is to bring you back to uh, obedience and a life of faithful living t- to him. So I don't know if that helps you, but um, clearly um, I would seek God's face uh, on that matter. Thank you for the call, Codrington. Thank you for listening to That's Truth and continue to encourage others to tune in. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, you can also join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can listen to the program. You can watch behind the scenes in the studio. And you can also write there on your device in the comment section, You can comment your questions or your concerns or a future suggested topic, and we will consider it. And your comments will get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner live on the air. If you have a question and you'd like to ask it live on the air, the phone line is open and available. You can call 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 1454. Follow up question to the topic of tolerance. If the Western world is Christian and God fearing, wouldn't there be tolerance for personal freedom, but an intolerance to idolatry that God hates? That would make sense to me. But here is a problem we're having. If we had Christian statesmen, they could have democratic principles. But again, their biblical principles must override their uh, political principles, and we don't have that. So I do feel that there are cases where um, a person in government, uh, even even though he knows it, it probably will not be successful, he should oppose idolatry, no question about that. Let it be known that he's against idolatry. Um, And take a stand on these things. You don't have to win every case, but let people know where you stand as a Christian. That's when they know they have a Christian statesman. I remind people, see, we would not have had the abolition of slavery 
without Wilberforce and Granville Sharp and those men who put their very careers, even their lives, at risk in Parliament to try to change the whole evil system of slavery. Were they not Christian statesmen then, only history would tell what would have happened eventually. But that's what we're missing today in, in, in every form of government I can think of in the Caribbean, uh, in Barbados, in, in uh, Antigua, St. Vincent, uh, in America, um, in Europe. We don't have godly Christian statesmen who take firm biblical stands. As a result, um, the voice of the church is muted and the influence of the biblical principles are lost. As, uh, Nathan, I received an email today that said, for the first time in history, Christianity is now in the minor in England. Hmm. There are less Christians than there are Muslims in, in, in England. Now think about that for just a moment. Hmm. That was a shocker. See? Because, you know, about 3% of the British population, I think, attend church. But since the influx of the Muslims as a result of the Syrian civil war and other wars that went on, they went to Europe. And because the EU allows that one church one country can travel to another, they also migrated to that part of the world. So uh, uh, England is now a country that is not predominantly Christian. It is predominantly Muslim. To my mind, that is frightening, hmm. uh, especially if you want to impose Sharia law. Yeah. And, and don't ever kid yourself. Um, it, the, 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 the West has been very generous, very caring, very thoughtful. But they've got to be careful that their generosity does not result in their losing their liberty and uh, face some real battles up ahead in terms of um, governing uh, these type of groups question that's come in in relation to a rebroadcast episode that we aired last week. In that episode, you mentioned corporal punishment, and the listener is asking, I have a question concerning what you just mentioned about corporal punishment of our children. If the government forbids it, should I still continue to do it? Well, I think for the Christian, there's only one question that needs to be settled. Does the Bible give the parent a right to exercise corporal punishment? To my mind, that settles the whole issue. You know, I say many times on this program that truth simplifies life, and that's one of the ears of simplification. Um, is it legitimate? Is it biblical for the exercise of a parent with, with uh, corporal punishment? And I don't think anybody could read the Bible without uh, affirming that that's the biblical teaching. And the thing is, to whom do we owe first loyalty? To God. We owe first loyalty to people. Remember what the disciple says? We must obey God rather than man. Uh, look, I have never seen or never will I ever see a government that can tell me that I can't exercise corporal punishment on my kids when they deserve it. They could put me in jail if they want to. But my first loyalty is to God. And always remember this, huh? The problem with corporal punishment has to do with the the wrecking influence of psychology, which we were told that it would scar the mind and the character of the person if you exercise corporal punishment. That's total rubbish. I think it was Dr. Sprock in America that had a whole generation of Americans uh, um, remove corporal punishment as a means of discipline. And when he saw the results of it, uh, 20 or 30 years later, he repented and said he was wrong, totally wrong. And I feel that um, the Christian 
should hold to his guns. Um, if the Bible gives him that right, he should practice that right. I see no reason why any government uh, could dictate to the parents who the children belong to. Now, we've got to be very careful about abuse. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about legitimate discipline where you talk to the child and you apply the rod to the seat of learning and you do it appropriately, not to try to scar and bruise and be, and be brutal. That's not what we're talking about. But proper discipline. And, and, I, and I say this, one of the big failures of the modern parents that I talk to when it comes to Christians is, is this. When I ask them what method you use to deal with your child, they always tell me to talk to them. That bothers me greatly. Now, you talk to teenagers. You talk to people above seven and eight and stuff like that. But the Bible says the rod and correction, not correction and the rod, see? We have reversed this whole thing. Now, here's the problem, Nathan. We don't use the rod when they're young. When they turn a certain age, we know stuff. We, we, we talk all the time. Now they turn 14 and say, we can't control them. You know, know what we want to use now? The rod. Yeah. And it's now too late because you're just going to create more rebellion. Our problem is that we've gotten away from biblical truth and we're reaping the consequences. Uh, we've sown to the wind and we've the whirlwind. We have a caller from Potter's Antigua. Thank you for calling and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Pastor. How are you all doing? Fine, thank you. Pastor, you know, I am very concerned because I, I heard some pastors say that God don't answer our prayer. you got to pray a special way for God to answer your prayer. Uh-huh. You know, and I want something to go like that, because I believe God is God, and he answers our prayer. Uh-huh. But some people say he, he hears your prayer, and if he, he knows what, um, what you're praying to him for, and if you pray to him to forgiveness, and um, you want to change your life around and turn your life over to him, mm-hmm. I believe he answers your prayer. In his time, not in your time. Mm-hmm. In his time, but you got to feel out first. Mm-hmm. I just want to get um, educated by you guys, because you all seem like you have a very good knowledge of the um, Bible and of God, you know. And I would like to really keep in touch with you guys. So just answer me if, um, if you got a, a, a special way to reach to God, you know, and what is, is, what is your special way I would like to know. <coughs> okay, sir? I would um, answer that question by saying there are a lot of people who say that only when a person prays for repentance that God hears them an unsaved person. I think you would, that can be disproven from Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius was a centurion, and he is trying to seek after God. And he's been praying and praying and praying for light. And the interesting thing that when the angel was sent to him, uh, it said that, Cornelius, your prayers have gone up to heaven, and the Lord has sent me. So clearly this unsaved man, God answered his prayer. To, to balance that, however, uh, David made a statement in the book of Psalms, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That is when a person holds tenaciously, tenaciously to his sinful lifestyle, and he doesn't want to surrender that lifestyle at no cost. Well, his prayers are hindered. Uh, but once he is willing to surrender and turn to the Lord, uh, God answers that prayer. And, and look, this is a mystery. Uh, I don't know there's any particular Bible verse that clearly spells it out in, in great detail. But God is sovereign, and, and God knows every man's situation. And when a person truthfully goes to God and wants to find out the truth and to have light so he can change his life and repent of his sins, I believe that God leads that person uh, to, to get a further knowledge of the truth. The light that a man has, if he uses that light, he will get further light.
Uh, I think I can prove that from the book of Romans as well. Uh, so I think that's important for it. But to say that God doesn't answer uh, the prayer of a, a sinner unless it's a prayer of repentance, I don't think that can be established in Scripture. I really don't. I, I think the Cornelius is a classic case of that example. I would exhort you, sir, uh, to seek the Lord, uh, turn to Him, uh, look at your life, see if there's any besetting sin that dominates your life that you don't want to let go of. You know what Isaiah said in Isaiah 59.1? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot hear you, nor his hands that he cannot save you. But your iniquities have separated between you and God. The thing that creates a barrier between us and God is our sin. And the whole... Huh? Right. So that would be the, the main concern. Are you willing to turn away from uh, your, your sinful lifestyle and turn to the Lord and, and serve Him? And you sound like a, a mature man. How old are you, sir? Oh man, at 72, I hope you're serving the Lord at this point in time. You know, we got three score and ten. You're living in grace right now. You're living two extra years. So yep. this this is the time that uh, if you haven't turned to Him, you should be. And I hope that you have that. I've done that. Okay. I hear you. And thank you for your inspiration words, huh? You know, it just inspired me more just a while ago. Okay. God bless you. Have a good night. Thank you for calling. Appreciate that. Thank you very much for calling. That's truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor, let me ask you this. For the born-again believer, is there a certain formula, a prayer book that I should be reading written prayers out of in order to make sure that I've got that correct format so that I have God's full attention? Look, prayer is talking to God. That's what it is. Um, we don't want rote prayers or canned prayers. You just talk to God the way you can. There's no special way to talk to God. You just tell God. And God God made you. God gave you language. God gave you a mouth to speak. He doesn't expect you to be as flowery as a guy who's been saved for a number of years mm-hmm. and who's been brought up in a certain church where he's had to memorize uh, prayers, etc., etc. Prayer is talking to God and communing with God and just saying to Him exactly what you want, what you feel, and God is going to respond to that and answer that. So we don't need to have any special prayer book uh, to say um, some mechanical prayer. I think that is too artificial, to be honest. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you to each individual who has sent in questions or called in thus far this evening. We've still got three more questions in front of me. And we'll see if we have time for them tonight. (coughs) If we don't get to your question tonight, we will start out, Lord willing, next week's episode with your question. The next question, Pastor Murphy, is what should the relationship between parents and adult children be? Does submission to their authority look the same? Well, there are several things that that would help me to to counsel or give advice. for example, uh, how old is this adult child? Is he in his twenties? Is he in his thirties? Is he in the early, early, early teens? That would help uh, to help me in the matter. Secondly, are you still living with your parents? That's a big factor. If you're living still living with your parents, or is it that your parents are trying to control you, even though you're on your own? and want to control your life, telling you what job you should get, who you should marry, and um, um, what courses you should take. Uh, so I, I'm not too sure ex- precisely what area of authority. So uh, what area then is your parent going to uh, enforce authority? Is, is it your social life? Is it your financial life? Is it your vocational life? 
Is it your familial life that you have a family and don't want to control your family? Is it your educational life? Is it uh, functional life in terms that you are at home and have certain responsibilities? Or is it regulatory where the parents, because you live in there, set curfews and deadlines uh, for you? I would say as a general rule, as long as you are living under the uh, protection and the house of your parents, it is standard that you should uh, comply with the rules and the standards that the, the home has established. Now, if you find that those uh, standards and rules are against the grain of your personality or the grain, the, against the grain of your maturity, this is where you sit down and discuss with your parents and try to negotiate what kind of changes that can, can, can happen. Do it in a very respectful way. And I think that, and, and by the way, sometimes you, you might want to do it yourself, but there are times when, depending if your parents are Christians or whatever, you might want to ask them if you can have the pastor there or if it's a youth leader or whatever it is to, to discuss these kind of things. Always be under the authority of somebody throughout your life. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're either going to be under the authority of the boss at work, the police, the government, the church you belong to, the political party that you have joined, the doctor, the lawyer, the teacher, the university that you go in. I can't think of a time in your life when you will not be under authority. So I think it's important that you understand this. And if you're living with your parents, I think that you need to um, try as much as you can to to uh, make the adjustment to what they want. I see nothing wrong with a parent giving a, 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 a curfew for a child who's living at home, they should be home at a certain time. Uh, I see nothing wrong with a parent warning a child about the kind of company that they're keeping. Those are all legitimate. And most people who disobey those principles always end up in trouble. So I think it's important to try to establish what exactly. But dialogue and compromise and negotiation uh, are things that would need to be uh, looked at and develop a good, healthy social attitude between your parents and yourself, I think would be very helpful to bring about any uh, change that you would like that somehow um, you're not in cahoots with. So I don't know if I've answered the question. Uh, if I knew a little bit more detail what you're talking about, I probably could have given you a better response. But again, the, the principle is you're under the authority if you're living with their ho- in their home, and uh, their rules and regulations should govern uh, your life. If you want to be your own authority, simple. Find a place, go, and uh, establish your own home, your own lifestyle, etc., etc. But it cannot be right for a parent to allow a child to totally disrupt family rules and guidelines and uh, uh, virtually create chaos and pandemonium in a house. Uh, that can never be tolerated and should not be tolerated and clearly is wrong. A question that has just come in. Uh, Good night, Pastor Murphy. When Japheth made a vow unto the Lord, did he kill his daughter? Mm. Uh, (coughs) I can tell you absolutely not. And if I can do that next time, go to the passage to show you why uh, I tell you that. What happened is that she became a perpetual virgin serving in the temple. 
that's what happened with her when he when he, he that was a kind of sacrifice but there's no human sacrifice there in that and I can show you in this passage quite clearly that that's exactly what is meant uh, that she was um, uh, lost her um, capacity to to marry and she was dedicated as a celibate virgin to serve the Lord all of her life. Now, of course, his vow, his, his, uh, vow was a, a rash vow. And um, if we make rash vows, we should be able to repent and change those vows. But um, no, there's no human sacrifice there whatsoever. God would never endorse human sacrifice. What about where God told Abraham to kill his son? Again, it's very clear that that was testing Abraham. Do you, do you, are you willing to obey me even though you don't understand what, what's happening in your life? Are you going to make me the priority and, and trust me that I can work this out? I remember the book of Hebrews says that Abraham counted that God would raise him from the dead. You know, if, 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 if Isaac is the son of promise, you see the promise, and God has promised that through him the Messiah is going to come. Well, Abraham reasoned, well, if I sacrifice him, God has to raise him from the dead. So it's a mark of faith that he exercises, brilliant faith, uh, in the case of Abraham. Is it possible for us in 2022 to have that kind of faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I believe our biggest problem is that we are not Bible uh, transformed believers uh, the word of God plays a very little part in the majority of Christian life one of these surveys I would like to do is to find out how much time people spend in prayer how much time they spend in reading I think it would shock us to, uh, that would explain the state of the church thank you for listening to That's Truth if we didn't get a chance to answer your question tonight be sure you tune in next week and Lord willing we will answer your question to start out the episode next week God bless Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.